It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny and this is my show. And today, joining me, is John Dinsdale. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. We just got off a stretch of watching some incredibly good Joshi matches. We have. Uh, when we were like, planning shows for this week, John said it was Akira Hokuto's 50th birthday the other day. And I was like, ooh, we should have to do something for Akira Hokuto. Because Akira Hokuto is one of the greatest professional wrestlers that ever lived. She is an outstanding talent as a pro wrestler. And she survived breast cancer. Because she's a badass. Because she is. And uh, we thought, well, let's have a look at see what we can find. And we found a compilation tape from AJW in 1994 called Dangerous Queen Forever. And we're going to talk about her career as we go through the phases of what you see on that tape. And we've also got three matches to look at from her later career in Gaia. Uh, a cracker of a match against Noki Kato. Um, an interesting match against Mio Wakazawa. And, of course, her retirement match, tagging with Meiko Satomura against Aoki Hamada and Chigasaw Nagayo. And so, John, you kind of, as you were just saying before we did pre-production, you were just getting into Akira Hokuto. What strikes you as a character about her as a wrestler? See, um, when you got us watching the Gaia matches for, I think it was Gaiaism, and a couple of shows before it, Akira mm-hmm. Hokuto struck me because of like her costumes, her character, and the fact that she seemed like the most terrifying human in the ring when Aisha Kong wasn't <laughs> there, and sometimes even when Aisha Kong was there. And I'm always drawn to the sort of bright colours, people who are just there to kill people. And yeah, she was a legitimate badass. And now as we've kind of watched her rise, her the different stages of Hawkett like Hawkator's character, all the way up to the Dangerous Queen and beyond, yeah. That's just further cemented the fact that as I think I put on Twitter yesterday, Akira Hokuto was one of the best professional wrestlers on the planet. And you can see the sort of inspiration she's had on people throughout the ages. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's hard to describe just how good she is. Because it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like, you know, Tiger Woods or like uh, Ayrton Senna, like just absolutely born to the job. That's how good she is. Like, you know, the, the, the tape starts and she isn't even Akira Hokuto yet. She's Sisaka Uno. She's the, the rookie girl that, that starts off in, a, in the traditional Speedo swimsuit because AJW had Speedo swimsuits. Guy who used arena swimsuits. Um, but yeah, she starts off in a Speedo and some wrestling boots. And I think the thing that strikes you about it, first of all, is AJW's production in the 1980s. This is a second or third generation video, so it's not best quality. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Akira Hokuto, Dangerous Queen Forever. Um, and those Be careful are- when watching it. The audio will make you think your headphones are broken, but they're not. It's just recorded <laughs> with the sound coming out of one speaker. All right. Okay. I, funnily enough, I only ever listen to anything on one speaker on YouTube because I, I have. I had a 10-minute panic fit thinking my headphones <laughs> were broken. But yeah, um, and these early day matches just show you how fast AJW was in the early 80s with all those rookies trying to make a name for themselves. The pace they go at is just so breathtakingly quick. And there's so many interesting approaches to wrestling you don't see. Like people just trying to keep pinning people. 
like not moving when somebody's kicked out, just pressing their shoulders down even harder and then just doing it again in a different position and a different position, like a proper sport. <laughs> and it's just so good to watch. What do you think of this early phase of Hokuto? Or Uno, as we should say. Well, you could tell straight away she had um, a hell of a lot of like natural charisma. Her selling was all amazing. She was flying about the ring trying to take... I didn't even see who she was fighting. It never gave a name. But like it's about double the size of her, and she was just tossing her like a rag doll, and Hokuto just kept getting up and coming back for her. Uh, just... I was going to say, I think in the early matches you've got, I'm, I'm looking at them now, you've got a very, very young and spelt-looking Aja Kong in some of those matches, tagging with her. You've got some Bull Nakano in her pre-straight-up hair days. You've got a bit of Dump Matsumoto as well. So this is like... This God. is the top line wrestlers of their era. That's how you can tell it's really early because I didn't recognize any of them. <laughs> but it's it's genuinely entertaining to watch because even though she's a young girl and you know that nine in ten times she's probably going to lose, she's still there giving it her all. There's no there's not a slow moment. Most of the things she's throwing out are crisp. She's full of fighting spirit and yeah she's exactly what i imagine ajw were looking for yeah i mean i'm just looking at these matches now she kicks out on one every time like like as early as she can if she's not supposed to be pinned she isn't getting pinned she looks after herself but she makes everybody up she just tries so hard you can just see how hard she tries and it shows her first big singles debut against Dun matsumoto now, obviously, she's wrestling Dump Matsumoto, so she's going to get killed. <laughs> there is no two ways about it. Death is in, is in order. But she puts in such an effort against Dump, like all these crossbodies, flying crossbodies. She just tries so hard. Like she goes on this, she has this circular drip drop kick thing, which she kind of got from the Jumping Bong Angels, um, like classic 80s tag team. Um, and, but everything she's got is so crisp and it's so well done. She isn't on top for long, obviously. <laughs> well, she uses every second she gets. It's... Yeah. And she she does get smashed in the mouth quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did notice that. Um, going on in the tape, she's got a first major singles match where she actually stands a chance of winning against the young Bison Kimura, who has the most gorgeous mullet. It's like dyed from the ears, dyed blonde from the ears down, but black on top and cut into a mullet. It's like, this is the best haircut I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking, but by gum, it works for me. A Bison Kimura is another one of those women in AJW history who doesn't really get the credit she deserves because she was exceptionally good. And in any other era, she would have been one of the best women workers in the world. However, she came at just about the right time to find the greatest wrestlers of all time all in one company. But the match with Hokuto is a lot more even than the match with Matsumoto. And it's really well put together and shows off what she can do in a competitive environment. I couldn't agree more. This was one of the first matches I probably remember seeing and loving. Yeah. It's, just, it's more car crash, Joshi, again. <laughs> They they never slow down. They always there's always a chance someone's just gonna come away like, yep, they're broken. They, <laughs> they went down looking cool, but yeah, that that's probably broken. Oh, yeah, I'm just watching it now, and um, like Akira Okoto's 
gone with the backdrop, but Bison didn't go with it. She didn't like lift or elevate herself. She just kind of landed in a heap in the floor twice. And then Akira Hokuto gets the pin by just trying to drive Bison Kimura's shoulders to the mat until Bison actually gives up just and just gets pinned. And it's a clever tactic. It's like, yeah. why, why do you see this with like veteran wrestlers a lot when they don't get a pin? It's like, right, I'll pin them again. Still kicked out, I'll pin them again. Yeah. They're going to give up eventually. Yeah. No one uses this anymore because it's not, it's not theatrical, is it? It's not dramatic. It's not, you know, but it looks realistic. It looks like a badass thing to do because you're trying to win at all costs, which is surely what you're trying to do. Um, next she's up, we see her tagging with Yumiki Hotter against the Jumping Bomb Angels, which of course is another chance for her to get murdered on a regular, on a fairly regular basis. Um, Jumping Bomb Angels at the time were the best tag team, well, one of the three best tag teams in the world for women's wrestling. And they were wrestling in the WWE on and off. So, you know, to, to see the, to see Hokuto really um and yumiki hotta kind of get jobbed out here is a bit disappointing but it's kind of where they were in the card in 1986 isn't it yeah that's what the tape sort of makes makes it look like yeah um but again she's full of fire she doesn't give up she's she is literally against the hottest tag team in the world who've just come off a tour of the states where they brought madison square garden to like a thunderous like uh pop just they're like they like I, I cannot explain how over the jumping bomb angels were in Madison Square Garden, um, and you know they that she go they go to the, him and you make your heart go toe to toe with them for a, a good 10 15 minutes. It's uh, it's a bit of classy action really, but she's still not. Well, I say Hokuto, it's still Uno, isn't it? She's still not the finished product yet. I think it says Hokuto on the back of a swimsuit now, though. Ah, well. No, I'm looking at this. She's got a plane swim, so I'm seeing it as we go at the moment. She didn't uh, change yeah. after she came. I'm pretty sure she didn't change her name until after 1988. She came back after 88, and then she was Akira Hokuto, which we'll explain shortly. Um, we'll keep going flicking through the, bit, the bits. She seemed to wrestle the Crush Girls with various different partners 400 times in this era. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not being funny. You're going to learn an awful lot when you've got... And, and to be honest, Chigasaw Nagayo gives her a really rough time. And so does Lioness Asuka. The kicks they lay in on her, they aren't laying in on anyone else. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really... I wonder if she owed them money or something. They were really not holding back. It was kind of, I think... I think it was partly kind of what she expected. And I think it was partly kind of like... A rite of passage. If you can stick with, if you can hang with us, then you're going to be um, like a really that good. But I'm looking at these matches, and it's what Ted DiBiase used to say: all Japan wrestling in the 1980s was three quarters shoot. And it's not far off that because they're laying in kicks really, really thick, and there's a lot of slaps that are there to try and like square up Hokuto because she's kind of like trying to make a name for herself a little bit, and the the crush girls are not having that because they are the biggest draws in the company. But it's made her exciting to watch, hasn't it? Definitely. She's like she's taken everything she gets and tries to give it back. Like again, we sort of talk about like it being like a like a harsh environment to get into, but 
as you start seeing later on, she conquered it and made it her own. Like the yeah. flats you see her taking now, she's giving um, giving out to people in like five years' time. It's you sort of see how she learned her craft from other people beating <laughs> the hell out of her. Yeah, it's um, it's quite incredible, really. I mean, she's uh, the matches with the Crush Girls. It's kind of like um, how can I put it? Hmm. I can't really. I have something in my head that I want to say, but I can't really. Can't really say it right now. I mean, she goes to the 1986 Tokyo Daily Sports uh, annual end of year awards. I'm sure you've seen pictures of the boys from New Japan picking up their awards and from different companies. Now she wins Rookie of the Year, and then in 1987 she's invited back to the dojo. Bear that in mind. She was a rookie in 1986, and in 1987 she was invited back to the dojo to train people. That's how good she was. <laughs> I mean, that's and, correct to do so. If you can take a beating like that, I'm pretty sure you've, you've earned the rite of passage. You definitely have. And of course, her and Jaggy Yokota then produced the greatest class of professional wrestlers ever. We're talking Toshi Yamada, Manami Toyota. Um, you've got the Atsuki Mito, Mimi Shimoda, you know... Um, Tokyo in a way, this is this is the best wrestlers who've ever lived are all in one class, and you can't, you know, the class of '86 was good. That was Megumi Kudo, Combat Toyota, Rita Mada, um, Akira Hokuto, and then the class of '87 is even better. Um, and she and Jaggi Yokota produced this incredible class of wrestler, um, especially like you know, Exuta Mita does not get the credit she deserves. She invented the Death Valley Driver, a finisher everybody uses now. You know, it's the it's the finisher that's the basis for the F5. It's the basis for so many different finishes that you see in pro wrestling. Um, she starts uh, '87 with a match with and uh, the wrestling the Glamour Girls, Lelaine Clay and Judy Martin, and. She's giving Judy Martin a hard time because she's hurling her around all the ring all over the place. Lilani <laughs> um, Kai and Judy Martin were uh, regulars in um, AJW at the time um, because they were. It was part. They had a talent scop deal with the WWF. It won't last until for much longer, really. But it was, it was nice to see them going over to Japan and having some matches and putting some young stars over. Uh, they did win as the veterans you'd expect them to. But the match had an interesting ending where Dump Matsumoto attached a, attacked a Hirokuta Hokuto with a pair of scissors. Sorry, she's still Uno at this point. John, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, this was a great match, and you kind of see the um, turning point for bigger and better things when, yeah, she gets attacked by the scissors. Yeah. It's nice to, as you say, it's nice to see like other teams coming along to sort of give people a boost and to see, like, the start of future Hawker Tour come into play and to start taking on even bigger feuds is, yeah, it's nice to have these things kept in history. Yeah, and she's not, but as we get into 88, she's not just a tag team wrestler. That's where she spends most of her time in the early part of her career. She has a singles run at the AJW Junior Heavyweight Championship. Um, and she's kind of more impressive as a singles wrestler because her mindset works well as a singles wrestler. 
Uh, there's a couple of matches of her early singles career in here as well. And obviously, as a singles wrestler, she's um, she's spending more time like developing that style and working towards that finisher that she hasn't quite developed yet, which she comes back with after she's uh, had a break, which we'll explain shortly. Um, but she's starting to put on weight and she's starting to fill herself out, isn't she? Yeah, she's becoming a bigger and bigger threat with more and more sort of muscle behind her. Yeah, she's still moving as quickly as she did as a young as a young girl. She's starting to become the deadlier wrestler we're going to see. <laughs> yeah, there is also an early match with Minami Toyota, um, which you don't see the end of, and where she she started to morph into being Akira Hokuto. I think we may have actually skipped a little bit. Because the key thing for Akira Hokuto was in 1987 or 1988, where she tagged with Yumiki Hotta against the Red Typhoons. At the time, her and Hotta had beaten uh, some top-level teams and were AJW tag team champions. It was supposed to be their second defense, I think it was. And at one point in the match, the Red Typhoons take Hokuto to the second rope and give a spike pile driver off the second rope. Which oh, I remember, I remember watching that and just thinking, oh, God, that looks horrible. Oh. <laughs> you don't know the, what happened, do you? No, I just saw the move and I was kind of like, oh. Well, Uno, as she was then, broke her neck. Jeez. In that best of three falls match, that was the first fall. She wrestled the remaining two falls with a broken neck which you don't see on this tape because they only showed the neck break. But she wrestled the remaining two falls with a broken neck, visibly holding her head in place at times. <laughs> <laughs> now, you tell me any other wrestler has done anything like that. <laughs> yeah. She's the toughest professional wrestler I've ever heard of. Okay. Now, she took a year off and became back as Akira Hokuto. And she started to develop this persona based around individual toughness and individual mission. Now, she was still a tag team wrestler, and she starts tagging with Minami Suzuka, and they become the Marine Wolves. And this is where the Dangerous Queen starts to develop as an individual. But the Marine Wolves are baby faces, but that won't always be the case by the time we get to the end of their run. But yeah, what's your thoughts on this particular time period? Because that's the reason why there is no matches in 1987. She literally took a year off because she had a broken neck. See, I must admit I wasn't paying proper attention to the tips. I didn't even realise it had skipped a year. <laughs> As I said, a lot of the sort of tag team scene, you, you're just continuously presented with these like really high-class tag team matches. So as it keeps cutting to the next ones, I'm kind of just like, yeah, they're showing that she was an exceptional tag team wrestler. She's exceptional when she gets her own solo moments in those matches. And now I know she did it with a broken damn neck. It's like, there's just so much to sort of take in and see. Like she was continuously wrestling mat like really high quality, high paced matches against top tier teams as part of another top tier team in the making. It's, it's also very, I can't quite put it into words, because as I said, I, I didn't know all that much about Hokuto going into this, and now to sort of see everything she sort of, each step as she sort of came through it, it's still difficult to put into words, because I'm like, 
there's only so many ways you can say, yeah, she is bloody awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move forward a bit because the Marine Wolves do end up taking on the Crush Girls. And that's kind of like where they were angling towards in an absolutely breathtaking match. And you see most of it on this particular this particular card. And Suzuka and Suzuka and Okuto were perfect to wrestle the Crush Girls because the Crush Girls were literally at the top of their game then. And as baby faces, that's where really the Marine Wolves wanted to be. Um, but again, it's it's the Crush Girls, and they're not done yet. They've still got two years till retirement. But for those of you who don't know, in this era of AJW, you retired at 26. No arguments. This was partly to do with the you must look after the athletes who you know must um, you know in this particularly tough environment cannot last very long, which is true. To be honest with you, you know this was the toughest wrestling on earth, and the women who wrestled in these matches were tougher than any other wrestlers on earth. I don't care what you tell me. These, we call these it car crash for a reason. <laughs> okay. But the reason why they retired at 26 mainly was because to, in the rather sexist eyes, as, as our good friend Chelsea Spollen has often said, at 25, after 25, nobody wants you. It's like Christmas cake. So they were presented in that way, and it was incredibly sexist. But we'll get to that more pertinently later on. But the Crush Girls have still got a couple of years left, and they still want to be on top of the game. And Minami Toyo, uh, sorry, Akira Hokuto, again, turns up at the, uh, the Tokyo Daily Sports events for another award. I think she was uh, Tag Team Wrestler of the Year then. I'm not sure what she won it for, because all of the signs are in J- Japanese, obviously, so I can't read everything, all the kanjis and stuff. But yeah, that was, that was pretty much 1988. As we roll into 1989, um, we have a wonderful performance by the Marine Wolves of The Eve of Fight, which was... Uh, uh, a pop performance because AJW girls were expected to be pop stars as well as terrific wrestlers, arguably the best wrestlers on the planet. I forgot about the performance. <laughs> <laughs> it came so far out of left field. I'm just like, wait, what? Oh, they're doing that now? Okay, sure. I bear in mind, Jaggy Yuko has been in a couple of punk bands and had two or three hit albums. A I boy. did not know that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know, like um, the the Lovely Angels, the original great tag team of the 1970s, oh, sorry, the beauty pair, they had Jackie Sato and, and uh, I can't remember the other person's name, but they are, they had massive hit singles. The Crush Girls, um, Chigasun Agayo still has performances at Marvelous shows. Some nights she'll sing with the band if she's not wrestling and do all the intros for all the wrestlers. That is really damn cool. It is, you know, they are uh, like Chico Sonagayo is actually a pretty good singer, um, and you know they did full choreographed dance dance. If you just thought it was the 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 Stardom and uh, Ice Ribbon did this, no, it's it's been a long-standing tradition of, of this going on. Um, so then we're back to wrestling again, and it's the Marine Wolves, and they're back on top. This is the bit you have to juxtapose. juxtapose is like this sweet little girl next door pop duo, or one of the toughest tag teams on earth, and. Uh, you know, and uh, they really they're wrestling the Crush Girls and Chicken Soul Nagayo gets pinned in the first 30 seconds against the Marine Wolves and she's not happy. <laughs> yeah, you can see the tone shift in that match the second that happens because it's, that, it's <laughs> like that's it gloves are off, everyone's getting murdered. Yeah, that's it. Chicken Soul, not happy. She's going to give somebody a kick in and Akira Okuto is sadly in the way. He's probably used to it by now. <laughs> it's happened every time she's in the ring with a crush girl. 
Character building. That's that's what it is. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to the Crush Girls feud because they wrestled each other so many times. Oh, there's another match where they're wrestling the Crush Girls. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're wrestling Dokaki Dome there as well, which is another great team. Bison Kimura and uh, Kondo Saito, I believe, at the time. Um, and eventually, they do win the AJW Tag Team Championships. I'm um, just looking to see whether we find it in the on here. Um, and then there's a change of tone as they go full on heel after uh, attacking uh, Dream Orca's uh, Toshiya Yamada. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Toshiya Yamada. I'm putting her on the shelf thus and going into a match against um, Etsuka Mita, the protege of Akira Hokuto. And uh, one of her partners, who's nameless, and I can't quite see who it is because you don't really get a good close-up of her. And they beat the living crap out of them. And that's not what babyfaces te- teams did back in the day. There's chokeholds, there's hair pulling. The Marine Wolves are suddenly not the good guys anymore, are they? Nope. And this is where <laughs> you start to see more of the Hawkato you, you kind of got, got to see in like the early to late 90s. Yeah. Your viciousness. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a strange mix of like, they're still in like babyface gear and they're still wrestling a little bit as babyfaces given the circumstances. But just like, oh, just the slap she gives people. She takes on this heel persona where She's quite clearly a ring general now. She's the boss, and she's quite willing to slap people around to get them to go the way she wants to. And to be fair, Suzuki Manami is not far off that either. She's a ring general too. So they kind of boss the show and are quite happy to do anything they need to do to make a match work. And they sell, which is excellent, but there is no more confident person than Akira Okoto right now in this particular field, is there? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, right, this is my match. We're doing it my way. And if you try to get in the way, you're getting slapped. (laughs) Even if you do play along, you're getting slapped. Yeah, it's especially as they're wrestling in wetsuits, which couldn't have been the best of ideas, to be honest with you. No, that that does always look uncomfortable as hell. Yes. You also get to see, like, the Akira Hokuto perfect toe-point bridge. She is the best bridging wrestler I've ever seen. Um... But, you know, that's an aside. It's it's the whole package, isn't it? Definitely. Okay, so as we move on into Hokuto's career, she starts on a singles feud with one bull Nakano, which arguably, as you know, if you're going to pick the biggest dog, pick the biggest dog in the yard. And she was the WWWA Women's Champion at this particular point. So Hokuto goes after the big belt. She goes after Big Red, the most prestigious women's championship in the world. And it's a dogfight because she doesn't back down and Bull Nakano will not stop going forward. So there is a recipe for a successful feud. What's your thoughts on these matches, John? These were amazing because I take it with this one, we're going up to the cage match. Yeah, I mean, the first the first big match, Okoto starts playing mind games because she wrestles barefoot like Nakano does, but tapes her ankles in the same color as her regular boots which is an interesting approach. <laughs> oh, but, there's so much to enjoy from this feud. Yeah. It, it's pure 
like Joshi action. They're both just hammering the hell out of each other. There's mind games, there's hot you name it, it's done and it's done almost perfectly. It's I always call it car crash wrestling, but that's what it always looks like because everyone is just hitting each other as hard as they humanly can. Yeah, but equally, it's all done with purpose. There is a reason for everything they do. Every kick, every slap, every chop, every head into the ring post, there's a reason why they do it. Everything is just so well-timed. I mean, Hokuto is like pasteboarded over the entire ring. They're slapping each other really, really hard. And it's not just like open-hand chops. We're talking about proper palm strikes banging each other. This is... And both of them are extremely good professional wrestlers. They have no need to brawl or be violent. They're doing it because it means that much to them. And it comes across perfectly. Like, these were some of the most engaging matches on this tape. Yeah, I mean... I think the cage match between the two of them takes my top spot. Your greatest cage match of all time? Oh, no, just from this tape. Okay. The match I enjoyed the most was Bull Nakano versus Akira Hokuto in the cage match. They are, like, made for each other, aren't they? (laughs) It's like Batman and the Joker. You could see them do it forever and not get bored. Yeah, it's just just perfect. It's just perfect wrestling. What, What... you know, Hokuto kind of tries to be the fan favorite, but Nakano was the big draw and really the fan favorite, even though she's the bigger heel of the wrestlers and likely to break more rules. But Hokuto won't back down and she will break just as many rules as, as Nakano will to get the job done. And when she's on top, she just is crushing. You know, she's trying to be the dominant wrestler, even though she's giving away, what, 50 kilos. Yeah, there's no punches pulled and. She's aware of the sort of disadvantage she's at. <laughs> Which, again, is something I respect because you get a lot of wrestlers where it's like, right, my opponent is about double my size. I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. Whereas Hokuto never had that delusion. She's just like, right, I'll just adapt and bring you down this way instead then. Yeah. And this is the first time we see the Northern Lights bomb. The oh. ultimate in Joshi. She delivers it to Bull Nakano, banks enters the ring, and Nakano kicks out, which shows she isn't quite ready yet to be the top draw that Hokuto really will be in the future. But she's wrestling Bull Nakano, who's the best wrestler in the world at the time, and Bull wins with a backdrop driver, of all things. And then it's onward and onward and keep going forward because we're not stopping now because it's, uh, it's Akira Hokuto. There's more, another match with Minami Toyota. Again, they wrestled each other like several hundred times in this time, particular time period. It wasn't their true classic, but that comes later when they're both like at the top of their game. She's got a match against, uh, who's she wrestling here? I think it's Yumiki Hata. Once their tag team had broken down, they didn't particularly like one another very much in the storyline-wise. Fully enough, I uh, watched, um, I was reading interviews this morning. Chris Charlton had interviewed Paul Nakano for his book a while ago. And uh, Mark Cuban, who also writes for Steel Chair magazine with us, I was talking with him about Bull Nakano because we were talking about this. And Mark didn't realize that Bull used steroids. Um, and I was, ex- I was explaining to the tweet about it. And Bull Nakano said, you see all these young boys in the New Japan Dojo these days all eating chunko together and having a nice time. He said, that didn't happen in the AJW Dojo because we couldn't stand one another. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true because it's like, it's such a pressure cooker. It was such a, 
a furnace in which a wrestling company was formed. And I'm looking at these matches, and I've flicked through an hour after these matches whilst we've been talking, and nothing ever slows down. Like, someone doesn't get a chin lock on. Like, at one point, Akira Hokuto grabs a grovet on Exuka Mito like she's hanging on for dear life and is never going to let go. This is a worked wrestling match. If you rag, if you rag on a grovet, you will, like, cut somebody's windpipe off. It's not that it's, it's a proper wrestling Wigan submission hold. And they dig everything in so hard. There are chokes in this that would get you kicked out of MMA matches because they just don't like each other and they're trying to make a name for themselves. And that's what makes it so compelling, I think. And it's probably not the nicest work environment, but it, it does the job. I mean, look at how many high-quality wrestlers came out of AJW. Oh, yeah. There was, there was a short window, maybe 10 years, to get to success. You had between the age of 16 and 26, and that was it. After that, you were done. So to get good, you had to work really fast. And I still maintain the reason why Bull Nakano, and especially Hokuto, but they were in the main event scene from the age of 18 years old. Now, they didn't win a lot, but they kept wrestling. You know, look how many times we've just discussed the Crush Girl. They must have wrestled, there's like five times where they wrestled, she wrestled the Crush Girls on this date with different partners. And the Crush Girls are arguably the greatest tag team in women's wrestling history. You know, so they learned because they were wrestling the best of the best every night. That's how they got this good this quickly. And there was a lot of competition in the locker room. And there was only so much money, so you've got to get the job done. Um, and I think as well, there's a match here where she tags with Bull Nakano after they finish their feud, <laughs> which is an ongoing story in the career of Hirokira Hokuto. And they just demolish a rookie team. And it's where the dangerous queen really comes into play. Does that make sense? She, they, she delivers pile driver after pile driver, pulling uh, the head of, of her opponent up. Then she just slaps her, paceboards her, and keeps going after her. The eye makeup makes its first appearance. We get tassels on the outfit. You know, it's starting to take a darker turn for Akira Hokuto, and she starts turning into the dangerous queen at this point. What's your thoughts on this particular change of attitude? Well, it kind of fit with who she was teaming with. And if you're with one of the most dominant people in the company, and you're one of the most dominant people in the company, why not be a badass? Why not take advantage of that? And she did. Her outfits became more outlandish. Her already hard-hitting style became more hard-hitting, and she basically put people through the same things she was put through. She started beating the ever-loving hell out of them, and they probably learnt a lot from it. And it's as you said, it helped build a character, make her even more recognisable, and it gave her something new, so she could keep going. I suppose when when you've got a company that that that's why the time frame is that short, you need to keep going, you need longevity, and what better way to keep going than to basically become the top villain in the company. Yeah. I mean, she goes to CMLL in Mexico at this point. She ends up being their women's champion. And she comes back with this new outlook. I described it this morning as kind of like this mariachi affair with her dress. It's very uh, Mexican-inspired. There's lots of different kind of angles of, like, Lucha Libre applied to her particular outfit. And she starts associating herself not with Suzuki Minami, but with Itsuki Mito and Mima Shimoda. 
And this is the birth of the original LCO. Los Cacajares Orientales, the Oriental Bitches, the toughest faction in Japanese wrestling history. They don't care none, do they, John? No, they are incredibly vicious. <laughs> There's a match here. She's tagging with Mita against uh, uh, Manami Toyota and um, uh, Esther Moreno. And she just batters Esther Moreno. Esther Moreno is like one of the best luchadoras ever. And she just hurls her around like a ragdoll for 10 minutes and then hands over to Mita, who destroys her again for another 10 minutes. It's just intense, offensively oppressive professional wrestling. It's some of the best heel wrestling you'll ever see. And they're not doing things like, um, you know, using foreign objects. They're not using different things like that. They're just you. Well, they are actually, because I've just, I've just seen her go in with a Singapore cane. It's just tough wrestling. Like at a point, uh, Minami Toyota missed lands a, a moonsault and lands with both knees in uh, Mita's chest. So Hokuto grabs hold of Mita, drags her to a corner and tags herself in. <laughs> Mita can't breathe because she's had the wind knocked out of her. <laughs> I guess that just goes to show that even though they're doing all this sort of incredibly hard-hitting, horrifically war crime level of violence <laughs> in matches, they still give a damn. It's like, yeah. it's done safely. Or like, oh, in some cases uh, where, what well, as safely as you can get with something like that. Well, I'm just looking at this manoeuvre that Hokuto came up with, which was a backdrop driver with an arm rock and a knee tuck as well. And then she finishes it with a Northern Lights bomb and a knee across the throat. <laughs> yeah. I say safe, but I mean... <laughs> You can tell there is some level of care there. A bit, yes. So There's not a lot, but there's more than you'll see with someone. Like, because the entire time we've described this, it sounds like people are continuously just going into business for themselves. Which but, wasn't far off. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, the next matchup is Hokuto back in face mode again, though. She's slightly faced because she's wrestling Bull Nakano again. In a this rather catching match. No, this is the singles one I'm looking at. It's the one where Hokuto gets injured and Ball's about to come off the top rope with leg drop and ends up being stopped because they have to call it for injury, which becomes a theme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of Hokuto's career. Um, as she gets the other nickname, not the Dangerous Queen, but the Mummy, because she has a tendency to just wrestle injured because she has to. So she does, because it's her career and nothing's stopping her. About this time was the year that she was booked to win the new um, AJW Grand Prix. And we covered it on the Troopany show a couple of years ago, me and Alex, and I think it was Chelsea as well. You can go back in the archive and listen to it. And Hokuto's wrestling Minami Toyota in the first match. And she does her, one of the things which was the signatures of theirs, whip to the floor, whip your opponent outside of the ring, run to the top rope, cross body off the top rope to the floor, which was she'd done a thousand times. But to give it some extra red, she decided to go over the railing, but didn't quite get enough distance. So she banged a knee into the railing and tore, tore her ACL. And she crawled back into the ring and told Manami Toyota to come at her. And Manami looked very confused and dead and didn't know what to do. And then the promoters, um, the brothers who run AJW, had to come into the ring and explain to Akira... You, you can't walk, therefore you can't wrestle. 
and Akira burst into tears. And it's the first time I ever saw her cry. Like, I have seen her, like, she's bulletproof. I've seen her go through tables head first. I've seen her get dropped on concrete. Never cried. The only time I ever saw her cry, when she, told, when she was told, you can't wrestle because you're not well enough. And if that doesn't sort of <laughs> illustrate just how much of a tough <laughs> SOB bloody Akira Hokuto is, then I don't know what will. And the only yeah. time you can show like an ounce of emotion is when you're told you can't hurt yourself further. <laughs> yes, you can. You cannot. And uh, like you've already broken your neck once, you cannot end your career. Now she was booked to win that tournament, but still, you know. And she's going through this run. I'm just watching the end of this match with uh, with um, Volnacano here. She drops a Northern Lights Brom. She drops an Impact Driver. Uh, this is this is like nuclear level finishes, and she still hasn't put Nakano away. <laughs> and then she goes for a then she goes for a um, a crossbody, a big splash off the top. Bulna gets her knees up, and she must have cracked a rib or something because she can't move. She literally cannot move. Bull body yeah. slap. Bull, 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 bull power bombs her, which is obviously not the best for a person who may have just cracked a rib, and then goes to the top rope for the finisher, but the referee stops it. <laughs> but she's quite happy to continue with a broken rib, and we're taking a leg drop. Then they get to the cage match, which is insane. Do you want to describe this cage match, John? You have done a little bit already. So imagine a Hawkator versus Nakano fight. Put that in a cage. Within the first two seconds, Pokoto has been rammed off the cage wall. They're throwing each other around like no one's business. They're hurting each other like no one's business. Nakano dives off the top of the cage and misses. There's just so much like high-caliber action in this one match. And it's so and it's, creative as well. It's sold tremendously. It's it's probably one of the greatest cage matches you'll ever see because it's two people who clearly give a shit using the cage as it's intended and just dropping bombs on each other. It's, it. it's, it's ridiculous. And then I think the funniest thing is though, um, Hokuto gets to the top of the cage, debates escaping, jumps onto Nakano, climbs up, has the same moral quandary and then just, He's like, nap, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> it also features the leg drop from the top of the cage where uh, Bull Nakano bounced when she landed. It was that high up. She actually bounced. It's, um, it's, she missed it. It's so ridiculous. Because you, you've just got to imagine the impact she came down with. Yeah, I'm watching her climb up there now. And you don't forget, like, you have to remember how... like. Um, athletic ball was as well because she's like 250 pounds she's a big girl and she throws a weight around like a junior heavyweight and she climbs to the top of that ring far more grace five times to that top of that cage far more gracefully than i've seen anyone else this is a chicken wire cage by the way none of this big blue bar business that's easy to climb she just hoisted herself up there off the top of the cage to the floor and then bounced to her feet just insane absolutely insane but it, it's the feud that puts Hokuto on the map because obviously she gets the win. It's a non-championship fight, but she gets the win. And that's the key thing. And she's back at the Tokyo uh, Dome, sorry, Tokyo Daily Sport event 
claiming her prize as uh, one of the best singles wrestlers in Japan again in 1989. And then we come to arguably the greatest women's wrestling match that ever was. Shinobi Kandori versus Akira Hokuto at Dream Slam 1. Now, there is a lot of background to this match. John, did, did you know anything about this match before you saw it on this tape? I did not. I've heard... I've heard of it hailed as one of the best matches on the planet. I think I've heard you talk about it before, but I've ne- I never knew a lot of the background behind it. So we've talked about this a lot. We reviewed the whole show a couple of years ago, me and Chelsea. It's the Dream Slam one. You can find it in the archive, not in the Beginner's Guide to Japan, because this was before the Beginner's Guide to Japan. This was back in the WrestleTalk days. So it was a long time ago. Um we talked about this particular matchup. And basically, the principle of that card was all the offices in Japan, JPW, LLPW, All Japan Women, FMW, would all work together to produce Dream Slam, which was the biggest card that they could. Okay? I just, I cut back to the video again. (laughs) And uh, Hawk Toss just um, knocked her out in his trash-talking her on the mic. Yeah. Um... So, Shinobi Kandori is a bronze medalist Olympic standard judo player and a double-eyed bastard. Akira Hokuto is a double-eyed bastard. Why don't we bring them together in a loving, sharing moment of professional wrestling joy, John? Do you think that'd be a good idea? I mean, it's a recipe for an amazing thing, but I imagine both of them came away with more bruises than the average match. (laughs) <laughs> it also helped they were both fire on the fire on a microphone they both could promo like there's nobody's business and you get to the end of this tape and the last half hour is just promos there's no matches on it it's just promos that's how good Hikira Hokuto was on a microphone Kandori was one of the few people who could equal her on a microphone as well now I don't understand the language but I know that when a crowd goes pin drop quiet because somebody's picked up a microphone they want to hear what she has to say and that's what happened in this match. Hokuto is a badass. But the match opens, I'm just looking at the match opening now, and it's, we've reviewed it before, but it's worth looking at this opening again. They stalk each other, they circle each other. Both have to take a couple of minutes because they've been put in something painful. Yeah. It's, well, it, it's she got just... knocked down, Hokuto got put in, a, I think it looked like a hammerlock. And it's, yeah. It's but just... It, it, but it just opens. The first thing that happens is Okoto walks straight up to Kandori, straight right hand in the mouth. Bang. Oh, <laughs> the table spot. Oh. Yeah. When the table doesn't break, it's just always worse. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then she, Okoto goes off into the crowd, into the darkness, to be bladed by one Wally Yamaguchi. Um, Wally Yamaguchi is the most important man in Japanese professional wrestling from about 1992 onwards to be honest with you. No one really realizes this because a lot of his work was backstage. But he was the key manager in Michinoku Pro Wrestling. He found a lot of talent for FMW. He found a lot of talent for Wing. He was a really good referee. He was a brilliant journalist and photographer. He basically held the independent Japanese wrestling scene together. Um, He passed away last year. But I wrote an article last week about Dick Togo's running with Bullet Club in New Japan. And it all goes back to Wally Yamaguchi. You know, it goes back to that car park in Nateo where Gato and Jedo put Wing Kanamura through a table in 1994. 
not long after this match where Wally Yamaguchi is. I'm just looking at him now. Wally is slicing Akira Hokuto open with a blade. But it gives this incredible vision of this blonde-haired, bloody-faced wrestler. And she bleeds so much. Literally, her hair is dyed pink by the end of this match. And it's just unreal to watch. It's just so ungodly. This is a regular wrestling match. This isn't a brawl. This is done within the rules of professional wrestling. And you just don't understand how good it is until you've watched it three or four times. What's your thoughts on this match, John? Because I should stop like gushing about it because I have done so many times in the past. I mean, I'm kind of echoing your sentiments. There's just so much to it. It's so dramatic. It's so well put together. There's so many cool visuals from it. And again, this, as you said, it's not a brawl, yet it's got more violence than a brawl. These two are just out to kill each other because they've both got a point to prove. Yeah. And as you see Hokuto sort of bleeding like a bloody volcanic eruption, it's just that point's driven home all the more. And yeah, much like the cage match, this was another one where I sort of just properly took a like. She just done her own move on her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this this is all the drama and all the things, you know. And this is the thing as well. Like people haven't really picked up on this. I don't think as much as they should do. But Becky Lynch's run to Ronda Rousey in the WWE was Akira Hokuto at this particular point in her career. You know, it, and it mirrors it picture perfectly. If you go back to the the feud with Paul Nakano is essentially Becky's feud with Charlotte, where Charlotte has to turn heel because Becky is the bad guy, but she's just that popular because she's right. And then, you know, it's the same with Paul Nakano. And then it goes to this. And the big match for Becky Lynch is obviously Ronda Rousey. But the big match for Shinobi Kan for, for Akira Hokuto is Shinobi Kandori, a badass MMA fighter. So is Ronda Rousey. And they have to have this hellish match to prove who's better. And They're it's the literally same. just KOing each other with slugs at this point. They basically just took the Akira Hokuto blueprint, cleaned it up for a Western audience. But when I see the pictures of Becky with blood down her, running down her face at uh, Monday Night Raw from when the SmackDown roster invaded, the first thing I thought was Okuto. Like, that is, it's a nice accident. But you put a picture of Akira Hokuto and Becky Lynch next to each other, and, and the parallels are so close. And absolutely the right thing to do as well. You know, Akira Hokuto's story is a universal story, and it's the exact thing. Now, Becky Lynch is Becky Lynch. She's absolutely unique, and it takes an incredible talent to headline WrestleMania, male or female, don't care who you are. But it, there is an awful lot of parallels between the two wrestlers, I think. See, it's interesting you mention, like, comparisons between Hokuto and WWE wrestlers, because when I was doing, I did a quick Google search, like, just before I was like, oh, yeah, it was Hokuto's birthday, just because I wanted to make sure I got the date right. And there was an article from, I think it was Cage Side Seat. Mm. It's like comparing Sasha Banks to Akira Hokuto. Just because of how much both like women give when they're in a match. I would agree. But actually, I would compare Sasha Banks more to Megumi Kudo. I think she... the article was from 2017, so it was quite an yeah. old one. I compare Sasha Banks to Megumi Kudo because she isn't appreciated the same way Megumi Kudo wasn't appreciated in that time. I think Becky Lynch is closer to Akira Hokuto. 
I don't think you'll get much argument from me. There. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Charlotte Flair is probably probably should be compared to Toyota, but she isn't as good as Toyota. She hasn't really got any comparisons. I suppose she's got her closest kind of like thing is going to be Aja Kong, you know, the dominant over presence, um, which of course leaves Bailey, who's but she Bailey's Coco in a way. <laughs> the happy go lucky baby face you know that's what she should be and the fact that i mean this is the thing and we talk about wwe of just reaching hokuto pin kandori in a bloody mess yeah but, but i was talking about wwe the fact that like you've got io shirai kairi hojo and bailey arguably three most naturally talented baby faces in the history of wrestling and you can't make them popular what are you doing <laughs> Sure, I was popular in NXT, but I suppose that was more because she became the the unstable heel. Yeah, no, she's yeah, but she she's the best one of the best babyface wrestlers I've ever seen. She doesn't need to be heel. You don't need that stuff. I anyway, watching a match that got recommended to me recently from Stardom. It was um, Odatai's Kagetsu and Sumeri uh, Natsu Sumeri mm. versus. Tam Nakano and Io Shirai in an exploding bat match. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the crowd is so far, so behind Shirai, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's an absolute so, baby. Plus, just seeing Tam Nakano in a death match is a spectacle in of itself. <laughs> okay, next match we have uh, Kizani. Off the back of the match with uh, Kandori. Kizani was actually the lead booker for LLPW. She was president of the company and she took exception to the fact that Hokuto had beaten her biggest star and decided to take matters into her own hands, uh, which started a feud over two matches in AJW and LLPW, but it shows how they built storylines. Kizani was an excellent wrestler. She wasn't in Kandori's league and she, her true gift really was in booking and promoting professional wrestling, but she was an incredibly good wrestler, don't get me wrong. She was of a very high standard. But it's one of those particular situations, again, where just because you're really, really good doesn't mean you're the best there is, which is the problem that, that she came up against, but was quite happy to be a good, you know, promoter. And it well, started... Dumped feud. Two <laughs> yeah, it, it turned into a good long-term feud between the two, which you had a big blow-off in a hair versus hair match on an LLPW card um, in a, the proper, you know, old-school deathmatch style. Because a Japanese deathmatch when it comes to Kamakiri, which is hair versus hair, means no rules, no disqualifications, no countouts, loser gets the haircut, basically. That's what Kamakiri means. So um, it was an absolute corker, the second one. I had much more story than the first one, though the first one's very, very good. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, as you said, it was incredibly dramatic, and you can sort of feel the am- animosity be- between the pair. Again, Hokuto's on top form, and when you when you're on top form against a very good opponent, then it's very unlikely you're going to make a bad match. So now you've mentioned hair versus hair death match. I I, I kind of wish that was on the tape. <laughs> Unfortunately, because it was LLPW, no. <laughs> but uh, they, um, but yeah, Kazani loses this match, and that means that she challenges for the second match and has to pull her hair on the line because obviously her Okuto has got nothing left to prove. So what's the point? <laughs> and then we get to the business end of this particular tape the possibly the biggest match on this tape which is Aja Kong the then WWWA women's champion 
defending her belt against Akira Hokuto. Well, she was supposed to. But before the actual match started, Hokuto grabbed the house microphone and said to Aja, Aja, my knee isn't what it should be, and I do not want to ruin the prestige of the championship. So let's make this a non-title bout, and I'll get you another time. <laughs> and within the first few seconds, she's already dived to the outside. <laughs> and literally, my knee is wrecked, but I don't give a damn. Yeah, but she is literally holding her knee together, and it is held together with elastopast and hope. And Aja kicks it relentlessly. But this lays the foundation for the final of the VTOP tournament later in the year at the Tokyo Dome. This is storytelling of an epic nature. They're thinking three or four months down the line and matches that may or may not happen. And they're sowing seeds for things. Now, Hokuto does lose this match. Um, and it kind of puts Kong up as like an invincible kind of monster, which she was at the time, um, and sets it up for the, the top final, which, funnily enough, Kong ends up with a knee injury. <laughs> Poetic justice. And if you follow the original commercial version of this tape, I, th- I can't remember St. James's Day Massacre, I think it's called this tape. I can't remember exactly. But it actually follows Hokuto in the back as she walks into the back and injects painkillers directly into her knee. <laughs> but there you go. Akira Hokuto, ladies and gentlemen. Baddest of the badass. Then there was the long-forgotten match that I didn't realise had happened. Kandori and Hokuto have a rematch. And they haven't calmed down much, have they? <laughs> no, it, it's still a violent spectacle. Yeah, the first first thing they do is throw haymakers at one another. And then they go up and they start again. <laughs> Kandori does win the rematch. I'm kind of sorry, kind of ruining these things for you, but it is ancient history. You've seen it before. But it just goes to show like the the depth that that they that the bench there was at the time. You know, they could have these dream matches again and again and again and still draw a crowd. I think this is Yokohama Arena by the looks of things. So it's a big crowd. And also, Hokuto adapts. She wrestles much more in a shoot style in this match. She goes for cross-arm locks and clockhead scissors and grovets, much in a more traditional wrestling style. Oh, yes, she she may have lost some teeth as well. Um, But then she goes back to the stump pile drivers. And her stump pile driver is just so good, isn't it? And it's the fact that she does it with such speed as well. It's It's just so vicious. (laughs) It's just like, well, I've had a broken neck in my lifetime. You can have one too. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's insane. Um, and then to round out the tape, there is one final uh, dream match, which is Bull Nakano and Aja Khan versus Kandori and Hokuto. If you wanted four of the scariest people in the world on one particular match, it's there. You can find it. You know, if you want, you know, Shinobi Kandori. I'll tell you this story about Shinobi Kandori. When Jazzy Gabbard <laughs> made her debut for Risen, she went in to challenge, um, I can't remember who she was challenging. Uh, it was an MMA fighter whose name stopped Gabby Garcia, that was it. And she went in to challenge Gabby Garcia. And Akira, and Gabby Garcia was supposed to fight um, Kandori, Shinobi Kandori. And um, uh, she ended up fighting Yumiki Hata. Now, Hata was a pro wrestler. She had no business in the room with Gabby Garcia, and it lasted about 12 seconds. <laughs> but um, Kandori was injured. She couldn't do the fight, but she was angling for a rematch. 
And of course, Jazzy Gabbert goes down to challenge Garcia. And she actually sent me, I actually sent her a text like the next day going, wow, you, that looks really, really cool. I couldn't believe like how, how Twitter lit up with you because they're all watching Risen. All my mates were watching Risen. I wasn't, but that's really amazing. And she said, yeah. She said, who was that little old lady in the ring with, with Amuki Hotter? And I went, does she know me, Kanduri? She's one of the scariest people I've ever come across in my life, and I'm terrified of her now, and she's about 50. <laughs> <laughs> so there. Jazzy didn't know who she was. She does now. <laughs> <laughs> I explained it to her. She's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. So yes, um, where was I? <laughs> Uh, yeah, this 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 is just a nice round out to a tape, and then the tape rends off with all of these um, uh, promos from down the years, where she's genuinely riled up people again and again and again. And she is a great promo, isn't she? Even though you can't understand the language, it's like hate and anger are universal languages, and when you can feel them off a promo, then yeah, I think it transcends the language you don't understand. <laughs> and it's, sort of, it's great that they can sort of round off a tape with half an hour's worth of promo footage and it not like I didn't watch all of it because I couldn't understand it but it's kind of like you're still intrigued by it because you're like how have you got this much intensity after fighting Matt yeah, exactly. it's just ridiculous the, the, my favourite promo is the one after the match with Kandori because the crowd's gone absolutely berserk when she wins that match. Like, they're along for the ride. They're hooked. They're absolutely in. And there's a, there are very few pops like it that you will ever hear at any wrestling show ever. And then she picks up the microphone and everything just goes silent. It's literally, hey! It's like someone turned a switch. Because they want to know what she has to say. And that's a rare, rare gift. Um which you just don't see anymore. It's just that good. It's just that good. Uh, but yeah. And anyway, she goes off to WCW for a bit. Oh, no, so that's before that. I missed my point. The VTOP final tournament is her last AJW appearance in 1994 at the Tokyo Dome. She beats Aja Kong in the final. We have discussed that. The six-hour show that me, Alex, and um, uh, me, Alex, and Chelsea did a few years back. That took some doing. 18 matches. Did it have a falsely yeah. advertised alien death match? Uh, no, but those actual wrestlers were on that card as well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, were they just as boring? No, no, it wasn't. They, they just did some guest spots, I think. But anyway, there was an extreme midget wrestling match on that show. Uh, Anywho. Ex- <laughs> sorry, extreme midget wrestling. Yeah, there was. You'll have to go find it. It's called Big Egg the Universe. Chris Charlton wrote about it in his book. You should go read it. Um, and AJW put that show on. And the main event was the final of the VTOP tournament, which featured Akira Hokuto against Aja Kong uh, on a night that set everybody up for future feuds, Minami Toyota and Aja Kong specifically. But Akira Hokuto took care of Aja Kong, who was nursing a knee injury with four Northern Light bombs in a row, she was making sure. <laughs> she got At the one picture. point when I was watching it, if I just stopped calling it a Northern Lights bomb, like, yeah, I'm just calling it murder driver. It's not even a driver, but it murders people. Um, yeah, she just she just drove that, that, literally just banged it home every time, across the shoulders, boom, 
But she did it to Raja four times to get the win. Nasty move. (laughs) And in another emotional promo, Aja Kong bowed down to her on her knees and offered her the WWA Women's Championship saying, you've beaten me, I don't deserve this belt anymore. Jesus, to get that reaction from Aja Kong. Yeah. Uh, but Aja, but Akira retired, theoretically, after that point. She'd reached 26, but I also point out, at this particular point, she'd already appeared on the biggest wrestling show of all time in Korea, met her second husband, Kensuke Sasaki, She'd had a baby, which is very rare because she she was allowed to go and get married. She ditched her husband after a couple of years, but kept the baby, obviously. <laughs> um, but she she was she'd basically done everything in wrestling that she could, and she thought she was going to retire. And then Chigasaw Nagayo suggested, "Why don't you come work for Gaia? Because they didn't have a twenty six rule, and all Japan women did." And she was like, "Okay, then." So she went to Gaia, and she closed out her career from about 1995 to 2000 in Gaia. And she had some big money fuse. She started a couple of factions. Uh, she was one of the key workers in the Oz Academy faction, that would become the Oz Academy promotion. that's still one of the biggest draws in Japanese women's wrestling in Japan. Um, and she had some great singles matches. Now, the two we're going to talk about is the two most recent ones put on, on the Gaiaism YouTube channel. And she wrestled Sonoki Kato uh, in a match towards the end of her career where she was putting people over. We talked about the Meiko Satomura match a couple of, couple of months ago, uh, which was unreal. The Kato is where the, is... the Hawkato fanboying started for me. <laughs> now, this one is anywhere near as intense, but Kato came with a plan, which was to batter Hokuto into submission and try and get a quick win. And it worked. It was exceptional, exceptionally cool to watch. It wasn't as star-making as the match with Satomura, but it certainly made Kato come across as a smart wrestler who could get a big win over a big opponent, didn't it? Definitely. This was sort of one of the more shock wins. Like, right, five-minute clip on YouTube, right? Hawkator's just going to murder her. Oh, no, she's just trapped Hawkator with what looks like a hair pull into... A cover and talk toys furious. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> livid. <laughs> it's it's amazing just to because, as you said, we've just talked about one of the most dominant wrestlers in AW, and to see her putting people over later down the line, it makes me happy because it proves she's not an absolute power hungry asshole. Yeah. But to see it done in such a clever way, rather than have it look like up. Oh, She's just beaten Hawkator. It's like she just stole a win from Hawkator. Hawkator is going to murder her. <laughs> it's, it's really clever booking, if nothing else. Because yeah. when you've got someone as dangerous as that on your card and you've just had her lose a match in such a screwy fashion, it's like there's probably going to be murder afoot. Yeah, and it's a very clever way of booking. It's a very much similar way they use Minoru Suzuki in New Japan these days. He has big matches when he's given a big moment. They deploy him. He's like break class in case of emergency wrestling. <laughs> to be fair, we're still... I want to see another match between him and Mark. I want to see Minoru Suzuki and Nato. That's the thing I want to see for the title. The and when problem Nato... is the last... The last time Minoru Suzuki and Naito fought over a title, it was pretty dull because Naito was just working pure 
face and it it was like half an hour of just submission halls. Yeah, but, but not, not in the entertaining light in just Yeah. Has to be attitude night or if we're gonna have that match. Yeah. We'll have to see. But anywho. Uh, yes, Akira Hokuto was like deployed incredibly well as someone to get stars over. Another young star she got over was Miho Wakazawa, better known to wrestling fans these days as Stardom's uh, mid 2010s veteran babyface, Wacky Wakazawa, because she turned into a comedy wrestler when she came out of retirement for Stardom. Um, but back in the day, she was actually a very good, serious, straight up babyface wrestler. And Akira Hokuto was the perfect. Yeah. I can't get over that name. Niho Wacky Wakizawa. She has she she wrestled Stara Stock a lot for the um white belt, the oh, the Wonder of Stardom Championship. She was kind of that level. She was a big mid carder and she got a lot of the youngsters over. There was a there was a the trios championship, she held that like more times than any other person with um I think it was with uh Kairi Hojo and um Oh, great tank. What's she called? Australian last whose name I can't remember. But they were a six man tag team. Uh, Her. <laughs> but yeah, uh, she's a fi- she's a fire fire uh, officer in Australia now. Damn. She went to being a professional wrestler, Joshi professional wrestler. And that name escapes me. And I can't. Ooh, do my head in. I'll look it up. Hang on. Uh, but yeah, she she's now a, she's now a firefighter in Australia because you know. As far as like interesting, dangerous jobs is concerned, she's got a a, a monopoly on that. But yeah, uh, and what did you think of the match with Wakazawa? Asked, I find this uh, wrestler's name, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, this was this was class. Ten minutes of just pure fighting, and it's it's Hokuto still being Hokuto. She's never changed. She's still that same dominant, scary as hell like powerhouse and after they have like a 10 minute fight with the streamers she they just start giving each other a kicking you get to see i think this is the one where they start bloody sword fighting and then yeah (laughs) it's it's still really high impact like yep the second rope german ouch There's still no give, despite the fact that it's 2001 and, oh, she just did a Northern Lights bomb on Hokuto. Big mistake. (laughs) Very big mistake. No, you don't do things like that. The the lady I was thinking about was Kelly Skater. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Hyper Destroyer, Kelly Skater, which is like, I love that name. The destroyer name is like. If you, do you know the the story behind the destroyer name? I Obviously, think you've told me before. Oh, <laughs> now I the match in the background whilst we're talking. Now I remember why I like this match. The entire finish is just Hawkator slapping her, telling her to get up, slapping her again, and just. I think after five, she finally pins her, and it's just like, okay, now you get to leave. She's genuinely offended when people don't try hard enough. It's, <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, just... this isn't like your sort of, 
oh, there's two women having a fight in a bar type. So, no, this is literally right. You're probably going to get knocked out if you get hit by one of them. Yeah, it's it's on an otherworldly level of violence. It's, it's like uh, one of the, the things I enjoy watching on YouTube are these um, Russian slap contests. They like treat it like a proper sport. And some of the people you see in these are built like tanks. Hokuto would not be out of place in one of them. <laughs> in fact, she'd just, probably best them all. Because, Jesus. Just a quick aside on the Destroyer name. Of course, there was the original Destroyer, Dick Bauer. And then in the 1970s, along came Pete Roberts from Britain. He was from Croydon. And he went and spent a lot of time in uh, All Japan Wrestling, All Japan Men's Wrestling. He tagged with Ted DiBiase, funnily enough, in the early 80s. And, uh, and uh, of course, Giant Baba named him Super Destroyer Pete Roberts. Yes. Best uh, wrestling names ever. And then the name passed on to Kelly Skater, Hyper Destroyer Kelly Skater. So there you go. So what Just, are we going to get next then? Destroyer Omega or something? <laughs> what would be the next evolution? We've had Destroyer, Super Destroyer, Hyper Destroyer. Shinya Hashimoto was called The Destroyer. There ain't no others. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> he was Shinya Hashimoto and he was there to destroy you um, and then we finish off this entire collection that we've put together I'll probably put a video playlist together this one isn't on YouTube anymore unfortunately it's on VO which is alright um, we've probably got, we've got some nasty Russian bots on our um, on our computers now because we've watched this but anyway. any worse than RuTube <laughs> the retirement match was in Gaia and it was a tag match where Chigusaw Nagayo tagged with Aoki Hamada against Meiko Satomura and Akira Hokuto. Now, obviously, Chigusaw Nakago, Chigusaw Nakagawa, no, Chigusaw Nagayo, I'll get it right in the end, was a long-term friend of Hokuto. And as we pointed out, spent a good two or three years beating the crap out of her in uh, All Japan Women. Aoki Hamada was arguably the hottest wrestler in the world at the time. She'd just come off a run as Queen of Arsian champion. She was absolutely unstoppable as a main event draw between 2001 and 2003. And Meiko Satomura was about to become the man, or sorry, the woman, I should say, in Gaia Pro Wrestling when she had that big feud with All Japan Women. And I guess Meiko Satomura probably embodies the spirit of Akira Hokuto more than any other wrestler I can think of. As far as protégés go, Akira got a good one in Meiko. But this match, your retirement match, after 15 years in the business, this was something special. It had to be something special. And it absolutely delivered on all levels. This isn't a couple of veterans going for a pull around with the youngsters. This is making a statement about where you are as a professional wrestler and the legacy that you leave behind. What's your thoughts on this, John? I mean, you sort of mentioned the fact that Nagayo and Hokuto have a reputation for just kicking, like, kicking the crap out of each other. That still happens in this match. Hokuto does not get off easy. There is, a, there is a long stretch where she's just being hit with everything and having to kick out, like, no tomorrow. And you sort of see sort of how Satomura looks up to her. Like, as a team, they are pretty on form. And, yeah, as you said, it's, it's something special. There's a lot going on, a lot to enjoy. And in the end, Hokuto doesn't go out on her. On her shield, she gets the big win one last yeah. time. Against the hottest wrestler in the world. Because that sounds. Could you imagine bad. anything different? No, we seem like 
there's always the, well, you've got to go out on your back for the good of the boys and for the good of the business and tradition and da 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 da. But it's a Kira frigging Hokuto. It's like she's been notorious for pulling off some of the biggest wins around, so causing some of the biggest upsets. It's like she's not going to go out with a whimper. No, she has to go out with a bang. This is a person who could stare death in the face and death would blink. This is a person who is like the ultimate embodiment of what a Joshi wrestler should be. When I think of Joshi, Manami Toyota is the greatest professional wrestler in the world as ever lived. Mako Samura is the greatest professional wrestler in the world today. But when I think of a Joshi professional wrestler, Akira Hokuto, savage, stoic, ready for anything, and will do anything to win a professional wrestling match, that character, like that sociopathic, absolutely driven ambition to be the best, to, to try and be the best wrestler, not just in a kayfabe sense of win matches, but actually to give the best performances every time she steps in the ring, that's Akira Hokuto. That's what is in my mind when I think of Joshi and why I think of Joshi wrestling and why I think it's so important to the wrestling league. And then we've got the closing ceremony of, of Akira Hokuto's career, which is the best wrestling send-off ever. As She's far as I still know. hitting people. <laughs> They're coming to give her flowers and she's still hitting people. I should explain this, by the way. It is considered polite that when you have a ceremony like this that you slap someone to pass on some of their spirit. And that's, a real, that's what uh, Akira Hokuto is doing, which is the reason why the biggest slap was reserved for Mako Satomura. In fact, I think she lost teeth. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mako is quite clearly distraught at this point. And actually, Mako is about the slimmest you will ever see her. She was, she'd lost a lot of weight at this particular point. I don't know why, what she was trying to do to change her body look, but she is absolutely ripped. <laughs> she just gets waylaid by Hokuto during the retirement ceremony. She asked for it and gives her a chin and then just smack. Um, and it closes out with Akira Hokuto's husband, Kensuke Sasaki, former IWGP heavyweight champion at this point, and the stepfather of her child, who brings her baby son, well, infant son, to ringside. She takes her guy tracksuit, puts it on, and takes her son for one last walk up the aisle. She would not wrestle again, except for two occasions uh, on a New Japan show where she did a run-in to give Keiji Muto a Northern Lights bomb when, when he was, uh, sorry, the great Muto a Northern Lights bomb uh, when Sasuke was uh, in trouble in a match. And in All Japan, where she teamed with her adopted son, Kensuke Sasaki, and... Um, and it, I, I can't remember who they were wrestling, but yeah, it was a family affair. It was for eight man tag match. And she, she wrestled, uh, she came out of retirement for one match to do a mixed tag match. She was the only woman in the match. And she beat the Levin hell out of the people across the ring. <laughs> Something changed. Is... What's your thoughts? What's your closing thoughts on the career of one Akira Hokuto? So at the start of this, I'd only known about Hokuto for a couple of months when we did the Gaia sort of episode and now that we've sort of gone through a lot more of her career I, I I respect her even more like at the time I thought she was just like an absolute badass and I love characters and wrestlers like that but seeing everything she sort of did the matches she had who she went through who she fought it's just it's amazing and 
as you said, she embodies Joshi wrestling. She is the what you should strive to be if you're going to be a Joshi wrestler. And I'll stand by the tweet I made. I think she is one of the best wrestlers on the planet. Yeah. I think she has inspired countless people. I mm-hmm. think she has she has some of the best examples of how to put on matches, how to act in matches, and to find out she fought through a broken bloody neck. It's just, <laughs> That is the level of dedication she gave to it. And it's like, people can come and go and say, oh, it's it's all a sport, it's all a spectacle, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, but where else are you going to see someone fight through something with a broken neck because they give that much of a shit about it? Answer me that. She cares more than any other person about pro wrestling than I've ever come across. Like, I know in some intense wrestlers, I know people who are really intense. I think, I think her and Minoru Suzuki are the two people who care more about professional wrestling than anyone else I can think of. Josh Barnett, maybe. You know, the, they absolutely care about making the best matches possible with the best wrestlers in the best way possible. And I think that's really important. You don't, the, the wrestling business doesn't survive without people like them. And that, that's what's important, I think, anyway. And just look at who took up the mantle from her, Mako Satomura. Yeah, exactly. Another person who gives an absolute shit about wrestling. Another person, yeah, who wants to rep, as she was quite rightly said, and this is something I will always go back to with Mako Satomura, because I think it's the best quote by any wrestler about anything in the Gaia Girls documentary. We have to represent professional wrestling in the best way. And that's what she strives to do. Right then, thank you very much for listening to us as we celebrate Akira Hokuto forever. And I think we can all agree on that. My name's James Troop, and you find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. John, where can we find you on your social medias? You will find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is like opening the Necronomicon to every other link you could possibly want, including the writing, the ramblings, the half-assed takes on gaming, because, yes, <laughs> I complain about Rainbow Six Siege a lot. But yeah, anything you want to find will be through my Twitter. There you go. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook for the Troopany Show and Patreon, the Troopany Show, where you keep us free forever for everyone. Thank you very much for listening today. We'll be back next week. I think we'll have some New Japan by, back by next week. I think they're building up on tour, so we'll see what happens there. Interesting things are afoot. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.